everyone. Today's guest on Fashion for All Smart Glimmer podcast is Katie. Katie falls under the model category of types of guests we'll be chatting with on the podcast. I'll let her introduce herself properly. We touch on Katie's identity as an artist, her modeling experiences, and her advice to folks who want to try more new things. Enjoy our conversation. Hi there. Hello. <laughs> um, thank you for joining me. Could Thanks you please introduce? Me. Yes, of course. Could you please introduce yourself? My name is Katie. I'm I'm online at Fem Katie, which is where most people know me. And I'm an all-around artist and creative type with a hodgepodge life of creating art and friendships and relationships. Nice. Um, what kind of art do you create? I have a background in creating musical art. And I've gone back and forth all over the years of whether I consider myself a musician or an artist and in what ways are the two similar and different. And I've landed on liking the idea of a big tent artist. So I am an artist who creates primarily music art, but I am also known to dabble in language arts and mm. visual art. Yeah, I think that's, I don't know, I feel like I've I had a similar conversation with a few other people who make various things. Um, and I think that's probably the best, or the, I don't know if best is the right word, but um, a more accurate term is just, just call yourself an artist because then anything that you create falls under that. <laughs> I mean, it does. Yeah, it's all encompassing because I find myself inhabiting multiple spheres. And I've always found it really strange that at least in English and in America, when the word artist is brought up, the de facto understanding of it is visual art. And mm -hmm. I don't know why that is, but I'm doing my darndest to deconstruct that. I wonder if it has to do with just the fact that like, when you are a kid and you take art class, it's mostly visual art. And so people who don't really participate in art after that just still tie the word to visuals. Oh, true. I mean, yeah, I wholly agree that that in in our day to day, that is where that comes from. Mm -hmm. um, my curiosity has always been and we don't we don't need to go deep down this rabbit hole. But my curiosity has been why? Why did we make that choice mm -hmm. uh, especially mm -hmm. when looking back at traditional liberal arts um, through the lens of you know of like the trivium and the quadrivium of how teaching was done thousands of years ago at that point it was all sort of together and mm. in contemporary times it's been separated more and more Hmm. Interesting. I never really thought about it. Yeah. And I have an art education degree. I never really thought about it. Um, 
<laughs> so the category that you fall under for this specific podcast is model because you've modeled for me. Um, do you consider or call yourself a model? This has been the question that I have found most fascinating throughout the interviews you've released so far in this podcast feed. Mm. And I really liked listening to how Alex thought about it, um, especially. And it got me thinking more, uh, more on these lines. And I think thinking of an identity of model falls into this larger category of thinking that I've been having of is our identity based on on how how we ascribe these identifiers to ourselves or is it based on the actions that we take so mm-hmm. for example in this case whether or not I consider myself a model I have in fact modeled mm-hmm. and and that's where I've come so far in my thinking. I, I think almost to the point of whether or not I consider myself a model is irrelevant to the fact that I have modeled. So, mm-hmm. so yes, mm-hmm. I indeed have modeled. I do have a background in history of modeling with you. And then through through you, I have also modeled for some other outlets as well. So I will leave it at a non-answer as to whether or not I am a model and will suffice to say that I have indeed modeled numerous times. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's kind of the point of the question, right? Is like, because uh, according to me, I'm, I mean, I've put y'all all in the category. So I have considered everyone that I'm putting into this category and asking this question. <laughs> I consider you all to be models. Um, so the point is to see whether or not you consider yourself to be one. Um, well, and one where I where I was going with that is that I I neither consider myself a model or a not model. I consider myself a person who has a history of modeling. <laughs> Okay, what about on the day where you're modeling for me? Are you a model on that day? <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I think this this just came to me, but it's like um, playing a role in a play. And say I were cast as Juliet in Romeo and Juliet. And while I'm on stage or in rehearsal then of course I'm Juliet. But when I walk away from that stage, am I still Juliet? Mm. That it's up to interpretation, but the fact of the matter is that I have been Juliet. Well, I would compare that more to, are you an actor? Yes. Um, And I think, and I haven't, this is where the train of logic will begin to fray. But I think that then falls under the 
larger category of being an artist because I think I think it wouldn't be too much of a stretch of the imagination to put model in the realm of performance artist because mm-hmm. am I not performing for an audience on a runway or for a camera on a publication mm-hmm. and so there and I think model can fit into this broader umbrella of artist yeah I agree with that so so at the end of the day I'm always an artist and there are times in which my artistry presents itself as a performance of modeling okay okay I I, uh, I like that conclusion <laughs> me too <laughs> um so you what the first time you modeled for me was spring of 2017 i think so yeah that sounds about right how did you find the casting originally i i had seen a mutual friend of ours post one of your open calls on facebook Mm. and that was that was the outlet for having been told earlier that same week by an acquaintance that I would make a good model. Oh. So it was very fortuitous and synchronistic that days after uh, a person made that comment to me that I saw your open casting. Hmm. And have have you ever thought about applying to any kind of casting prior to that? Or did you think that maybe that was not something for you? Or, or what was that, that thought process? It was something that wasn't even in my line of sight. Mm-hmm. Um, so it wasn't something I had thought of or not thought of. It was something completely alien to me at the time. Hmm. But it was and just then, as if this opportunity presented itself at the exact right moment for me to act upon it, which I did. That's interesting. And like, since it's something that you had literally not even considered because it was never even in front of you, when you decided to apply to the casting, A, did you think like, okay, I'm going to get picked for this? Or B, did you like... Were you just like excited to maybe try it out if it happened or like what like what was that what was your thinking going into it because if you hadn't thought about it before and then somebody just randomly said, "Oh, you this you'd be good at that." <laughs> and then that it popped up and you did it. <laughs> it was very much an instance of why not and I had nothing to lose. Mm-hmm. Had I walked in and bombed it or the chemistry wasn't right? or any number of other outcomes, I would have been out 45 minutes on a Saturday afternoon. Mm -hmm. That's like worst case scenario. Mm -hmm. And that, that, that was a fine gamble for me. Had I, had I done it and it didn't turn out well, then it would have been no skin off my back. And it would have been just one more thing that I would have tried and, and had the experience of. But of course, it it went well. Here we are, three years <laughs> later. 
Yep. So before before we talk more about your your experiences post going to that casting, um, I'll ask a question that you know I ask every, all the bottles. Uh, I know what you look like, but since people who may just be listening to this, could you describe your appearance? <laughs> um, gosh, and knowing that everyone was asked this, I, I still, I I find it so. Like, I, I have put much thought into how I would answer this, and I haven't landed anywhere concrete. So my initial thought is to go along the lines of how I answered the model question, which mm-hmm. is just go with the brass tacks of it. Mm-hmm. I'm five feet ten. I'm white. I'm skinny, give or take. I have medium medium long hair with bangs and I get complimented and commented most about my legs so I think that is my one of my main defining features and points of interest in the eyes of other people Hmm. and I I bike and walk everywhere so I think Mm -hmm. That that is the input which gives the output of everyone commenting on my legs. Um, so and also because you're ten, <laughs> right? Yes, yes. <laughs> I have I have more leg than <laughs> than many people. This is true because I have more more height on my on my body. Hmm. Then even me, I, which I feel like everyone else I've talked to so far. Oh, except for <laughs> one person has been shorter than me. <laughs> and I I have lots of tattoos and piercings. I think mm-hmm. that that is also a very defining characteristic. And then I think and then this is where where I can go off of the of the original question of what I look like because I think part of the answer is my looks are just the simple facts and physics of of my body and the corporeal form I take up in space and then the other part of it is how I how I adorn that corporeal Mm -hmm. form and how I present to the world Mm -hmm. so I think and I think that is more what stands out about me. And I think it's part of why I'm so instantly recognizable. I I definitely I don't I don't want to say I stick out in a crowd, but I I stand out and I'm noticeable. Mm. Um and I think I have a few different aesthetics that I play with. And I think those range from very sort of like skinny clothing, hoodie, t-shirt, punk rocker girl, but on the little more like refined side and less patches and tatters. Mm -hmm. And I also have a very feminine floral aesthetic as well. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. think looking through my closet, it's an equal distribution of black band t-shirts and floral dresses. (laughs) Yeah, that's probably true. Um, So I want to talk about modeling stuff, but now that you said, now that you mentioned that, I want to quickly ask, how many of those floral dresses did you have before you met me? (laughs) (laughs) Um, A few. I, I was definitely on the precipice of having a large floral dress collection before meeting you. But I think now most of the florals I have were made by you. And prior to, I, I, I have a number of patterned dresses in my closet and that's something that has been a staple for a while is very loud patterned clothing. And I think Mm. that has refined lately into floral. I think that's what the the evolution of that segment of my aesthetic was. Mm. So, after you found out you got cast, first of all, what was your reaction response to learning that information? And then what was your experience modeling for the first time? I was elated and very, very excited. And the experience of modeling for the first time was really just pure excitement. I was I was too happy and excited to be consumed with any other emotions. Mm. And the whole experience didn't disappoint. I also, because I was someone who hadn't already been pursuing modeling, I had no basis of comparison and no expectations or assumptions going into it. Mm. True. Good point. Um and then, so this is something that I I have noticed and I feel, I don't know if you feel, that now that you've modeled for me multiple times over the past three years, I would say that you have gotten better at it. Not to say that you were not good the first time you were, but I've, and I think I've told you this before, that you have just, in my opinion, gotten more um apparently comfortable in front of the camera and knowing what to do um is that something that you also feel or or no totally totally and i think the the big thing that that bolstered that air of confidence that you just mentioned is knowing what to do mm. i think one thing that i I really have come to appreciate with how you do photo shoots and runway shows is that you really don't enforce any directions upon people. You don't Mm -hmm. demand a certain presentation or ask for anything outside of anyone's comfort range you really encourage people to be natural and it shows in in photographs and runway shows 
And mm. also because you have experience modeling and because a number of other people who have modeled with you have similar experience as well, I have been around that and picked up things from people. You've you've given me a couple pointers over the years and I've also tried to pay attention, especially to people who have a longer history of modeling and mm. then try to emulate those people and take into consideration your comments. And for me, that's really helpful and ties back to my my being an artist is that I'm artistically, I'm very, very much a proponent of knowing the rules before breaking the rules mm-hmm. or even knowing what the rules are in order to break the rules. Mm-hmm. And because I had no modeling background, I had no expectations of anything, but I also had no prior knowledge. And I think it's really it's really easy to improve upon nothing <laughs> as opposed to as opposed to someone who comes in with a whole bunch of very specific experience that doesn't quite fit that needs to be unlearned before something new can be learned mm that's that's a great point because while Yes, I agree. I don't, I try very hard not to, um, you know, tell folks that they need to be a certain kind of model or make a certain kind of, I don't know, shape with their body or expression with their face, etc. I will say that in general, especially when I'm then going back through the pictures and choosing which ones I'm going to use, I tend to use pictures where people are making a more, um, happy expression and that doesn't that doesn't necessarily mean you know a full smile doesn't need to be that in order to look like you are happy but I just think that and this is my personal opinion that so often in fashion photos the models look bored or angry or dejected and so I I kind of want to create the antithesis of that and that's to say that you know, I don't find beauty or appreciation in an image of one of my models where they don't look happy or whatever that adjective may be. But I think that as a whole, we need more images of women and femmes and non-binary people looking radiant and confident than the latter and sometimes to tie back to what you were just saying sometimes if somebody has more experience and they've you know been trying to replicate some of the imagery the mainstream imagery they've seen sometimes they will kind of put on this face that is like just a little too serious (laughs) I, i find it interesting that you you described those types of models as looking boring and Mm. um, I forget the other word you used. I think I said bored, angry, and dejected. Yeah, dejected. That was the one. (laughs) Um, I, I, 
I get that, and I frankly would would trust your read on it more than my own, since you have lived in that world. But for me, I've I've looked at it, and it it's like there there's a a model look and a model aura, and mm. where you would say bored and dejected. I see it as stoic and intense and going back to the playing a role, I, I've noticed that there is a, a, a model role that is to have that very uptight appearance. And mm-hmm. I think for me, that's, that's just what, what it is. It's sort of like, um, since my the majority of my background is in music, I I would compare it to traditional modeling being more akin to opera, and what you're trying to draw out of your models is more like Broadway. <laughs> That's fair. You know, I mean, I think I do. I will do want to say that, like, um, I think there is a place for. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think there is a place for, and also, I think, um, I do find appreciation and beauty in pictures where models don't necessarily look happy, but they do look stoic um, in a confident way. Um, and th- and some of those pictures, I do, I would end up including in in some kind of smart glamour campaign, um, but. There is another like very specific type of model look, in my opinion, that doesn't look stoic, but looks like, 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 I mean, if I use the word dejected, look like, like they're falling in on themselves. Um, and that's, that's what I'm trying to stay away from. Not necessarily trying to stay away from anything serious, but trying to stay away mm-hmm. from like a downward feel versus totally. an up- um, so prior to modeling for me, what was your experience um, or any kind of like uh, tangential connection to fashion at all, that industry at all, or even just like shopping for yourself? Well, so in in high school for maybe a year worth of high school, I I wanted to be a fashion designer that was mm. yeah and i was i was thinking about this as you as i was listening to interviews with other models and their pasts and how they intersect with fashion and i realized that i don't think you and i have ever spoken about this um my past interest in in fashion design but i it was my junior year of high school i i had to pick between art class and fashion design and clothing construction um, Mm. because the level of art I was in was only offered at one period and it was the exact same period as the fashion design Mm -hmm. class and I had a really supportive art teacher and he was he was one of the best teachers I have had in my entire life and he was very supportive of like okay you know that's fine skip this year of art you'll come back next year in the appropriate level 
And I would still hang out in his art room and work on fashion sketches there. And obviously, I ultimately didn't go down that path. But Mm -hmm. it was somewhere where I wanted to go. It was it was while I was in high school that Project Runway started airing and my Mm -hmm. mom and I watched that and I was just so fascinated by it because I'd already had a bit of a love for New York City. And so watching that show in the in the hustle of the city and then just seeing all the extravagant clothing that was created, I really wanted to do that. Mm. And and my my initial interest in fashion I think still partially holds. I remember my my first favorite designer was Charles James and mm-hmm. I really fell in love with that that early to mid 20th century very high fashion um aesthetic of of evening gowns and ball gowns and very elaborate intricate designs and honestly I think that's ultimately what also turned me down from fashion is because I I, I wanted to do that right off of the bat mm-hmm. and I I tried making um, an, an evening gown as like the third garment I ever made and it just didn't work and I wasn't pleased with it and I got frustrated and ultimately scrapped it and pursued music more seriously Mm. but but that is for as long as long as I can remember being into fashion I've been into very high fashion and I'm I'm still I, I still very much like and enjoy that aesthetic and I have I have in my closet only a couple very formal evening gowns that I love and I have no place to ever wear them (laughs) so it's right and and that's another thing I think about with fashion and aesthetic and appearance is that my my lifestyle and my aesthetic are often at odds with one another Mm -hmm. because as I said I I bike everywhere so that that necessitates a very specific kind of clothing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to me, biking is more important than very high fashion dressing. So mm-hmm. I end up wearing more athletic y kind of stuff than formal stuff. Mm-hmm. But, like, I, one of my favorite things to do is to go to the Met Opera. Because it's really the only the only excuse I can give myself for dressing to the nines. And it's such a fun, fun place to be and experience fashion, going going to the Met and just seeing how everyone else presents themselves there. Yeah, I absolutely wish that there were more opportunities for folks in general to get dressed up, which I think, I mean, obviously if you're biking everywhere, that's a different story, but I think just in general, 
I mean, and it's obvious just in general that if you look at how people dressed all the time, you know, 60, 70 years ago, it's very different from how people dress all the time now. And, you know, I story of my whole life is being the person that's more dressed up than everyone else. Um, <laughs> aside, aside from like at a smart glamour photo shoot where if I'm lucky, I got four hours of sleep and I put right. a t-shirt and, and whatever comfortable pair of pants. But um, other than that, I mean, I'm pretty much the mo- one of the most dressed up people everywhere I go. And like any, any, any time I'm going anywhere is an excuse <laughs> to get dressed up in my opinion. Um, but I do agree that if you're talking, you know, like fancy gowns and things like that, like, like yeah, I mean, where where are you where are you wearing that (laughs) i know i know it's a shame it's a shame um but so what what are some things that have changed about your um views on fashion since modeling for me and that like becoming um something that you're more aware of um i think it's so i've as long as I've been into clothes, I've had some nominal awareness of the industry. Mm. One of the things, one of the very first things I noticed about clothing and always pay attention to is the country of manufacture and mm-hmm. knowing how, how it's international economic standards and law to to denote where a garment was made or assembled. And mm-hmm. so that was something that I noticed early on is seeing so often that clothing was made in Laos or Cambodia or Honduras. And that that has been a thing that has always irked me in fashion, knowing knowing that so many brands outsource and that they all rely on sweatshop labor. So that's been a thing that's always been on my mind with clothing. And once I became an adult and had more disposable income, I was then able to buy new clothing that I I at least felt was was doing the right thing, making sure to buy clothes that are from industrialized countries, um, buying clothes from Europe and the United States and Canada and Australia. Um, so that that is sort of how I've always operated. And then through you and watching Smart Glamour, I have A, become aware that just because something is made in America doesn't mean that it was made with the most ethical of standards or practices. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's a bit of a downer to, to know as, as reality. I, I had a philosophy professor in undergrad who told us a quote from Socrates, which is the unexamined life is not worth living. Mm. And his addendum to that was that the examined life is a pain in the ass, (laughs) which, 
which I think really fits well into understanding of clothing is like, oh, you know, it'd be, it'd be nice to, to not know what's behind the curtain and to be able to go to Old Navy and just buy what I like. But Mm -hmm. I know that anything I buy in a mall is going to be trash inside and out. And so I can't in good conscience do it. And so, yeah, it makes, it makes being a consumer much more difficult, but also it's frankly better that way. I mean, if it's not better for my own life, at least it's subjectively better as for me as a participant in a global world. Mm -hmm. And then also through you, I've learned so much more about representation, um, you know, how fat people are represented and suppressed um, or misrepresented, misrepresented or not allowed in on the conversation or, or to be featured. Um, and just seeing, you know, all, all I, I knew that there were some disparities in the fashion world. And then being involved with Smart Glamour has opened my eyes even further than that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's, um, especially if you're a person that wears straight size clothing, um, it's definitely something to easily be unaware of, you know, because unless you're going shopping with a friend who's plus size and they point it out to you, um, or you're paying attention to somebody like me on the internet who's talking about it, then why would you know? Because you don't have to experience it. Um, so that's def- that's definitely something I've heard from uh, a good any uh, straight size smart glamour models, which um, I'm happy about. It's also not surprising because <laughs> y'all are are all caring, compassionate people. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you mentioned that after modeling for me you did a few other things what what were they you don't have to go like super specific into them but like um what was that um i've done a couple photo shoots for bustle that were a direct result of of connections that you have made for me mm. um to the point where where apparently my photos are stock photos of theirs now because I've seen pictures of me crop up in articles that don't have me in them in any way, Mm. which is sort of funny. Um, And, oh my gosh, what else? I I even have on my phone a little portfolio, my, my little modeling portfolio of photographs I've done for other people. Um, I have a few friends who do like capital P photography and Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. they've photographed me for various projects so that's not necessarily like fashion modeling but Mm -hmm. it's it's you know objectively the same thing using my body and posing in front of a camera to be featured on a thing yeah um yeah I oh I was uh in a New York Times article last summer for Pride and 
so I had a oh yeah that that actually so I had a a, a photographer from the Times come come to my apartment and take photos of me and she had even made comments to to the fact that I I clearly had had done this before. <laughs> so my experience shows, which is nice. That is nice. Um, so this I feel like is going to be a, a broad version of the question that you know I ask multiple people because, as we've said multiple times, you are using artists as a broad umbrella term. So, what are a few things? I'm sure there's many that you would like to see change in various artistic industries to make less (laughs) um i mean uh, uh, just in in so many in so many ways as far as as um i i I, i'm trying to think of of, of the correct phrasing for the sort of like uh consumable art Mm -hmm. so so fashion fits into that, um, and home furnishings, I would say, would fit into that. But there's just there's so much waste created, and mm-hmm. I, frankly, I think that the whole fashion world could just go on hiatus for the next five years, and we'd still have a glut of clothing in the world. Mm-hmm. Be- there's just yeah there's just <laughs> there are way more clothes than bodies going into them at any given time um so and i i also feel it in other media there's there's just so there's so many movies there's so many books there's so many albums and it i i i personally have driving myself mad trying to keep up with multiple forms of art and it's just it's impossible and there are there are certain mediums that I've just given up on keeping up with because I can't for example television shows and episodic series I just won't I won't watch any because Mm. To me, it's like, oh, if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna sit down and watch visual media, there are a lot of films that I want to watch, and I have a laundry list of films on my to watch list that I may never get through. And those are just films. If I try to add in episodic content to that, then I'm I'm never gonna watch anything. So mm-hmm. that I've completely cut out of my media consumption, and. And with this also applies in a different way to news media and journalism and, uh, you know, print media is going extinct, but it also has translated to online written media. And it's just so driven by getting clicks to a website. And in in news, because I that is a format I understand, there's so many news outlets and publications that just regurgitate material from other publications because they just need to create content. There's just this 
this obsession in all medium to just create more content, create more content, create more content. And the amount of media that's in the world is just growing exponentially day by day. And it's just, it's, it's too much, frankly. Yeah, I think that, I think that's a really good point. Um, And I appreciate how you've tied together both overconsumption of like physical products and also over saturation and creation of, of, of online content um, and media, because that's truly a problem. (laughs) It is. Um, so to close out, um, I'm going to ask a, another, like slightly, um, varied version of the, of a question that I ask many people at the end. So sometimes I, I'll ask folks, you know, like, what would you say to somebody who's interested in doing what you do, um, and feels like maybe it's not for them, even though they want it to be, et cetera. But I'm going to tell her this a little bit more to you as a human as a whole, uh, because I personally know you so well, that I think that one of your greatest qualities is your um, like ability or interest in like trying new things and learning new things, um, thinking about things in new ways. Um, so what would you say to somebody who maybe has know inklings of wanting to try something new but is like you know scared scared to actually do it Mm. i i would like to think that i'm good at egging people on to do new things and go outside of their comfort zone so Mm -hmm. i appreciate the question Mm -hmm. personally starting there i i i think i'm just hardwired for newness and novelty I, going back to consumption and creation of media and how I said that I've driven myself mad trying to keep up with things. For example, music. I try really hard to keep up with everything new created by musicians I enjoy. And I will often be the first person to listen to a new album or know what's coming out in the next couple of weeks. And I've, I've always been really into that. I remember as a teenager going to the record store and just seeing what came out. And I knew every Tuesday was when new music came out. I knew every Friday is when new DVDs came out. And it was it was fun and exciting to constantly check out what's new. And mm-hmm. even now, I know on Spotify, Friday is when the release radar station comes out. So that's always what I'm excited for. Like, cool, what albums come out today being Friday? What albums mm-hmm. are coming out today that I can go listen to and knowing what's going to be dropping? So all that to say that I I have always been interested in newness and I think my love of newness I can try to impart on other people and to me there's there's it's it's thrilling to do something new I think this also ties into the fact that 
I, I would consider myself a risk taker mm-hmm. and I enjoy, I enjoy taking risks. I enjoy uh, feeling a rush of some sort um, because it's, I feel like it's just such a human sensation to get excited about things and to have mm. this this happy nervousness of like not quite knowing but kind of knowing but knowing you want to but really unsure of what it's going to be and and so I'm trying to hone in on on how I how I can impress this upon other other people and I mean for for fear of sounding trite it's like you know like why not you only live once like you might as you might as well I I also have spent a lot of time reading a reading quotes and writings of older people and their thoughts on the end of life Mm. and really never have I heard someone on their deathbed say that they wish they would have played it safer or they regret having done a thing and more often people on their deathbeds are sad because they didn't take an opportunity or because they spent a little more time at the office than being with their friends and family. And I think a guiding principle in my life is when I die, I want to be happy and content with everything I've done. And Mm -hmm. I don't want to be saying I wish I would have worked a little bit less mm-hmm. so I I will always choose the option that I will be happy to have done mm-hmm. and I think that also as someone who does a lot of physical things it 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 feels like like running like I am someone who runs on occasion but I don't particularly enjoy running but I enjoy having gone on a run Mm -hmm. and I think that translates to new experiences because the the feeling of fear and trepidation going into something new is often not the most pleasant feeling I think I'm an oddball in that I've come to revel in it because I'm used to it and I enjoy it but I know that I am an outlier there However, after the fact, it always feels so great to have had done that thing. Hmm. And so that's, that I think is, is how I would try to, to convince people to step outside of their comfort zones and to do something new and unfamiliar and scary is knowing that once you pass that threshold, you will very likely be more happy to have done it than to have passed up the opportunity. I think that is a great way to sum that up and great advice. Um, And it's also just like a little bit like telling people to lean into the feeling of 
being excited and nervous because that's like a special feeling that that humans get to have and then you'll have added um an experience to your life (laughs) yeah and especially like i i have never drank or done drugs or smoked anything Mm -hmm. so i haven't all, all that is to say that i have never put myself in an artificially induced altered state Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean that I don't enjoy the the brain chemicals that zip and zap whenever we do something like that. So I've, I don't know, for, for lack of a better way to put it, I've I've found a whole bunch of natural highs that are really fun, and mm. I think I think doing new things that are scary and exciting is a really great natural high, but the equivalent of a hangover is feeling really great about having done the thing. (laughs) I think that's a really, a really cool comparison, honestly. (laughs) Um, so how and where should people find you and follow you on the internet? I have luckily created excellent brand consistency and I am, I am Femme Katie literally everywhere. Uh, Instagram at Femme Katie, Twitter at Femme Katie, Facebook slash Femme Katie. I have a blog where I write a lot of introspective thoughts and stories of dates, which is femkatie.com. Mm. And anywhere else that there is a handle to be had, mine is at Femme Katie. <laughs> fabulous and i will hyperlink that in the show notes so people can just click through and find you thank you so much katie thank you i hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of fashion for all please be sure to check our show notes for information and links to our guests and their work Be sure to subscribe or follow us on your podcast platform of choice and leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts to help others find the show. For more Smart Glamour goodness, you can head to smartglamour.com and follow us on Facebook at backslash smartglamour and Instagram at smart underscore glamour. Thanks.